0: But of course, as we know, we're living in the last days. And it's an exciting time to be alive, to see God's prophetic scriptures unfolding before our very eyes. And uh, as we mentioned previously, these last few chapters of Daniel are related to a series of visions that he had regarding the end times of the last days. And such is the case again here today. Last week we finished up chapter 9. Daniel's 70 weeks, 490 years, literally, specifically, 490 years that God pronounced concerning His fulfillment of His plan for His people, Israel. Again, if we want to understand Bible prophecy, we have to understand the role that Israel plays in Bible prophecy. In that last seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel, is the time period that we know as the tribulation, which Jesus spoke of also. And we know that we're right on the very edge, the very precipice of the world falling into that tribulation period. Today we're going to get through 12 verses here in Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to read those 12 verses and then we will dig into the text. Daniel 10.1, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. Till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold ufas, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground." Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God... Your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this first section of Daniel chapter 10, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to teach us, to speak to us, to give us insight and understanding. We thank you for this time we have to share together in your word today. We ask your blessing upon this time of study in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, it's really great to be able to track these stories in the Old Testament uh, with historical records because we know that the third year of King Cyrus was 536 B.C., three years after the fall of Babylon. Remember when Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian conquerors? Belshazzar, getting that message on the wall, the hand of God writing on the wall, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. So this vision that Daniel speaks of here, he received three years after that. He mentions here um, a message or revelation, one translation says, a message or revelation was revealed to Daniel. So notice Daniel momentarily returns to this third person narrative. He speaks of himself in the third person. Just like the Apostle John's revelation, it means the unveiling of a mystery, a message or revelation, an unveiling, something not previously known was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, so lest we forget, Daniel reminds us that his Babylonian name given to him by Nebuchadnezzar was Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. Now, if we look at a couple of other translations, it says the message was true, and it concerned a great war or a great conflict. So here Daniel confirms both the veracity and the content of the revelation. It was true, and it concerned something that would happen a long ways off, as we see in the New King James or in the New American Standard Bible, the, the NIV, the, uh, a great war or conflict a long ways into the future. So this is a continuation of Daniel's prophecies related to the last days. He understood the message, he, Daniel, and had an understanding of the vision, or the understanding of the message came to him in a vision, And as we look at this passage, it would seem that Daniel kind of goes in and out. He goes from a vision state, which is a conscious state, to a dream state, which is when you're asleep. And he has a little bit of both going on here. It is the vision brought to him by this angel, God's messenger. And he says, in those days, I, Daniel, so he now returns to the first person, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. So the impact of this vision was such that um, he was mourning three full weeks. And so this would appear to uh, refer to Daniel's observance of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which takes place over a period of three weeks. It took place during the first month of the year. The Passover was kept on the 14th of the month and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for eight days with the whole festival ending on the 21st day of the month. He says, I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till all three weeks were fulfilled. So this reminds us of his uh, Daniel fast. Remember when he first went into the service of King Nebuchadnezzar and they were trying to get him and his his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to dine upon all the fine foods and the wine and everything that all the other men in training were being fed and they did not want to eat unclean foods and so they requested permission to eat vegetables and water only. Remember? And as a result, they came out stronger and healthier than the other guys who were indulging in all of these delicacies And so we see now he's reinstituted his old Daniel fast from about 60 years earlier. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel also fasted from bathing for three whole weeks. And um, I assume he was all alone during that time. There's no indication in scriptures that Daniel was ever married. So, probably a good thing. Verse 4, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, or on the riverbank, of the Tigris. So the 24th day of the first month, three days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he's there by the river Tigris. Now the Euphrates and the Tigris, as you know, are two of the great rivers of western Asia. They originate in the Armenian mountains and they unite about 90 miles from the Persian Gulf to form what is now called the Shat al-Arab. And it flows into the Gulf there. In ancient times, the Tigris flowed through its own mouth into the Gulf. The Euphrates and Tigris were included among the four rivers of paradise in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2:10 through 14. A river flowed from the land of Eden watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Asher. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Now, you may recall, as we look at Daniel here on the riverbank in his mid-80s, he was not among those who returned to build the temple in Jerusalem in connection with Cyrus's decree, which we read about last week in Daniel 9.25. He was probably too old to make the trip, and he also had been brought back into the government after being retired, and so he had a lot of governmental duties that prevented him from returning to Jerusalem. The land of Israel. So he stayed there when the others, many of the others went back. Not all of them went back, many did. But we have him here by the Tigris on the banks of the Tigris River. And he says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. What is gold of Uphaz, you might ask? There were five biblical places known for producing gold. One is Havilah, Genesis two eleven through twelve. Sheba, 1 Kings ten two and uh, verse ten. Ophir, Job twenty eight sixteen. Uphaz, Jeremiah ten seven through nine and Daniel ten four through six. Right here, and Purveyim, Second Chronicles three six. The Jerusalem Talmud states that there were seven kinds of gold. These were Good gold, pure gold, precious gold, gold from Uphaz, purified, refined, and Parveums, red gold. And so perhaps much like today we have 10 carat, 12 carat, 14 carat. There were several d- different kinds of gold found there in ancient Israel. And uh, the gold from Uphaz was one of the higher levels of gold. And this man, this angelic being clothed in linen... His waist was girded with this gold of Uphaz. And so he really stood out, obviously. And he goes on to give us a further description. Verse 6. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, the commonly held belief by Bible teachers, Bible scholars, theologians, what have you, is that this is an angel and it would appear to be very much like various angelic sightings in both the Old and New Testament. Possibly Gabriel, because Gabriel seemed to be God's number one messenger angel. We know in the New Testament he brought the messages to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, and so forth. But it's interesting that the description here of this angelic being, if you will, is strikingly similar to that of the glorified Christ in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1, 12 through 15. Then I, John, turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now remember what did Nebuchadnezzar say when he looked down into the fiery furnace. He saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego but say, wait, there's a fourth person down there. And he looks like Son of Man. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chests not the waist this time, but the chest, with a golden band. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters much like what Daniel says here in chapter 10 like the voice of a multitude you could see a great similarity between the two again mentioning that Jesus has appeared prior to his incarnation prior to his birth here on earth to the virgin mary we have what we have in the old call in the old testament theophanies or christophanies where it's It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the form of the angel of the Lord. Not an angel from the Lord, but the angel of the Lord we see repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. And when we look at the description Daniel gives to this angelic being, it could very well be that he was personally visited by Jesus in angelic form. But nonetheless, a very dynamic and powerful being that Daniel meets up with here. And we see his reaction is pretty intense. Verse 7, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Again, we have another interesting comparison in the New Testament. And again, it's Saul who will become Paul having a personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. Acts 9, beginning in verse 3. As he, Saul, or Paul, journeyed, he came near Damascus. Remember, he's not a believer yet. He's hunting down Christians to arrest them and hopefully execute them. That was his goal. Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him, here it is, stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And so again, Saul's experience here in the New Testament very similar to what Daniel experienced when he had this confrontation either with an angel possibly Gabriel or possibly Jesus himself the men with him a great terror fell upon them they did not see the vision but apparently like the men who were traveling with Saul they heard something they didn't see anything but they heard something and it struck fear into their hearts and they fled to hide themselves, leaving Daniel there alone with this visitor. Verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. So all of Daniel's companions, we don't know who they were, might have even been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know. Whoever they were, probably wasn't them, because I don't think they would have fled. They headed for the hills, leaving him all by himself. He says, no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me. Now, for one thing, the magnitude of what Daniel saw in the vision literally drained him physically. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've experienced it a lot as a pastor and a worship leader, but you can expend a great deal of energy... Engaging in spiritual activities, Uh, prayer, intercessory prayer can be very exhausting on every level. Teaching, preaching, leading worship, it doesn't just drain us physically, it can drain us emotionally, mentally, spiritually as well. So he is the magnitude of the vision, which we will not get to today. Literally drained him physically. But keep in mind, he's also an old man in his mid-80s. So combine all of that, and he's pretty wiped out. Yet I heard the sound, verse 9, of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. And so, again, this could be a combination of the impact upon him from the vision, his physical exhaustion, but he, uh, he actually falls asleep with his face to the ground. This also happened to him in chapter 8 when he was visited by an angelic being. So the combination of being visited by a supernatural being and the spiritual, physical, emotional drain of these horrific visions plunged Daniel into a state of absolute exhaustion. Verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. So the angel here, or Jesus, helped him up to his hands and feet but he's still weak, he's really shaky. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Notice he calls Daniel, man greatly beloved. Now we know that God loves all human beings. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in the New Testament it tells us, God is no respecter of persons. He treats everyone equally, fairly. He doesn't show favoritism. But by the same token, it's obvious as we study the Scriptures and even as we observe life around us in the present world, there have been certain individuals down through history that for whatever reason known to God, they've found special favor with Him and as such have been blessed and used in very special ways Daniel is obviously among this group and i think the scriptures give us some insight into how this works it's not that god loves one person more than another it's not that he shows favoritism second chronicles 16:9 the eyes of the lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him or one translation says fully committed to him. You've probably heard me quote this before but Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody once made a statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with one man or woman wholly committed, fully sold out to him. And so... Daniel was beloved by God. He was used in a very special way. But as we study the life of Daniel, which we've been doing in this book, we see how Daniel was totally holy, sold out, committed to God. Remember when they were commanded to bow before the idol? Fortunately, he wasn't there at that time. But later on, he winds up in the lion's den. Daniel would never compromise he would never back down. He would never bow down to anyone or anything but God. And that's the kind of a person that God can use and will use. And so sometimes when I'm contemplating, do you ever think about, I'm sure you do. you ever think about, why don't we see more of the kinds of things today that we read about in the Scriptures? The miracles, Old Testament, New Testament, the book of Acts, right? We know God does still do miracles. But it doesn't seem like it's as prolific, as obvious, as out front. And my suspicion is it has a whole lot to do with us. I mean, even when the disciples were challenged with that boy demon-possessed, the epileptic, the word sounds weird, epileptic. They couldn't cast the demon out, remember? Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And the disciples meet him at the bottom of the hill and they say, hey, what's going on? We can't cast this demon out. Jesus tells them, this kind come out only by prayer and fasting. And I think what Jesus was referring to is a lifestyle of holiness, of self-sacrifice, and to the degree that we live that kind of a lifestyle, is the degree to which we, I think, will experience those kind of miraculous things in our lives. has nothing to do with being saved. We can't earn our salvation. It's a free gift, right? But if you study great men and women of God down through the centuries, the ones that He used in amazing, marvelous, miraculous ways, like Daniel, but like many others even, closer to the time we're living in, they've all been characterized by an incredible amount of self-sacrifice, dedication, commitment. And so it's not a matter that God loves them more. It's just a matter of they maybe love Him more. You see? I think it was Keith Green who once said, a fanatic... As somebody who loves God more than you do. (laughs) The world would call them fanatics. Even some people in the church would call them fanatics. I remember one time, I don't know where this was, if it was somebody I spoke with or something I read. It might have been somebody I spoke with, but it had to do with, well, are you you a believer? Are you a Christian? Yes, I am, but I'm not one of those born-againers. Excuse me? That's the only kind of Christian there is. You're either born again or you're not. As Jay Vernon McGee said, you're a saint or an ain't. Right? Oh, yeah, I am a Christian. I'm just not one of those born again. Wait, didn't Jesus say you must be born again? There you go. So, again, some people would take issue with God. They might want to pick a fight with God. They might want to get mad at God. Well, God, if you're really God, if you're real, if you're true, why aren't you doing the same stuff today that you were doing in biblical times? For one thing, He still is. We may not always see it, although we've seen a lot of answered prayer in this church. A lot of people healed, saved, and so forth. And I think one of the reasons why it's such an incredible temptation for men to want to take the glory. You watch a lot of these faith teachers, faith healers, TV personalities. They want all the glory, folks. Don't, don't for a moment think that they don't. But God will not share His glory with anyone. In fact, even Jesus, many times when He'd perform a miracle, He would tell that person, don't tell anybody, just go to the temple and offer your sacrifice. Remember? Jesus tried to keep it on the down low because he didn't want people coming to him for the miracles, right? And so many times God works behind the scenes, undercover, low level because most people can't handle it. If they're they're seen publicly involved in one of God's miracles, they're too quick to want to take the credit for it. But that requires more faith on your part and my part. That means we have to pray and trust God and not worry about it. Our part is to pray, His part is to do the work. Pray for people to be healed. And even if you don't ever get to see the result, trust that in heaven you're going to see many miraculous people and miraculous things that you never got to see here on earth. Paul said, We walk by faith, not by sight. So don't be discouraged. And don't let the enemy mess with your mind, mess with your head, and tell you God's not real. If he was, he'd still be doing that stuff. He is still doing that stuff. He's just, and in fact, in many parts of the world where people don't totally rely upon the medical field, the technological field, people in third world countries, people in impoverished countries that have no other hope, no other way, many miraculous things are taking place and are being seen. There's such an incredible amount of skepticism in our modern Western world that, again, remember what Jesus said? A prophet is not without honor except in his own home. In fact, the Bible even says Jesus couldn't do... Jesus, now, think about this. The Son of God, God incarnate, but because of the unbelief of the people in his local region, the area around Nazareth where he grew up, It says he could not do many miracles there. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. And so another reason why we shouldn't be surprised if we don't see things on that level, because we're probably living in a historic time of unbelief, I would say. Especially when it comes to our God, the God of creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his son Jesus Christ. People will believe just about anything but the truth. We should not be surprised in any way. Verse 12, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand. We talked about this last week. To know and to understand, remember? Knowing is not necessarily the same as understanding. We need God's wisdom, God's guidance, God's instruction. And even Daniel, in his 80s, walking with God all of his life, Incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly experienced in the ways of the Lord. The angel says, you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. There again, it's that whole issue of faith. Trusting, believing. God promised, particularly for us as New Testament believers, if we ask anything, In Jesus' name, the Father would hear that prayer. That's a promise. Now, the devil will try to come and tell you, no, he didn't hear it. He's not listening. He's not interested. We cannot listen to the lies of the enemy. We have to listen to the truth of God's Word and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The Christian walk is a walk of faith, isn't it? From beginning to end, first to last, day by day. And whenever any thought begins to try to enter your mind that would undermine that faith, you have to immediately reject it, ignore it. Rebuke it if you have to. Because, no doubt about it, the enemy will try on a regular basis to undermine our faith, will he not? Sometimes it's Directly, this voice that we hear that, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the Lord to me. Right? Or it could be through some person. I was praying, ladies, for all of you yesterday, after I heard you had a fantastic retreat, and I was praying, Lord, don't let the enemy do anything to steal their joy, to rob that which you've done, because he will try to do that. When the men come down the mountain from a retreat, the enemy will try to do something to discourage. And unfortunately, sometimes he works through our family, our friends. We have to have our guard up. You might think, well, I'm most vulnerable at my low point. But that's actually not true. Do you know when you're most vulnerable? After you've had a great, wonderful experience with the Lord? That's when you're the most vulnerable. You just got baptized. The is going to come after you. you. You know, something like that. You just came back from a retre- retreat. Retreat that's when the enemy's going to come after you. That's when you really need to have your guard up. And for those of us who are waiting at home after, ladies, after your husband's coming back from the retreat, husbands, after your wife's coming home from the retreat, you need to guard your hearts and minds and don't allow the enemy to use you to be a downer. Okay? And he will try to do that. He will try to do that. So the angel tells Daniel... Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. And as we get into it, we're going to find that there was some spiritual warfare at the angelic level, which hindered the angel from getting there sooner. So again, the enemy will try to tell you, God's not listening, God doesn't care, but we don't know what's going on in those heavenly realms, what kinds of battles are going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil, the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is so important for us as believers. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But you know what? Fruit, we don't bear fruit By God waving His magic wand over us? Thou shalt love. Fruit grows, doesn't it? I think they covered this in the retreat yesterday on the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, yes, those are imparted to every member of the body of Christ. They're called gifts gift of teaching, gift of discernment, and so forth. But fruit is not the same as a gift. Fruit grows up within us as we abide in Christ, as we live in Christ. And what happens to a fruit tree if you don't water it and you don't fertilize it? It may not bear fruit at all, or the fruit may shrivel up, right? The only way to bear good fruit is the tree has to be nurtured, nourished, watered. And that's how we are. If we want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit then we need to be nurturing our spirits by what we're doing here today. Your own time in the Word, your own time in prayer, all these things are what enable us to bear good fruit. We desperately need patience. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall mount up as wing, with wings as eagles, right? But how does that happen? Waiting on the Lord. Patience. So many of the things, the negative things that happen in our lives are a result of us not waiting on the Lord. Hello? Right? Daniel was definitely somebody who waited upon the Lord. He sought the Lord. He set his heart to understand, to humble himself before his God. And the angel's confirmation, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. Now, Daniel's prayer was heard on the first day of the three-week period. But as we will see, the answer was delayed because of angelic warfare. Let's stand. And we'll finish this chapter next week. Before we pray, if anybody has a prayer request, please raise your hand. I'm going to lift those up to the Lord. Father God, you see every hand. You know each person here today. Lord, it's such a tremendous comfort to us to know that you know us inside and out, up and down, all around. You created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You even know the very hairs on our heads or lack thereof. We thank you and praise you. And so, Lord, now as we come to you in prayer, we, we talked about the fact that you promised whatever we would ask in Jesus' name, you would hear that prayer, and you would answer it. Father, we do as Daniel did. We come humbly before you, not demanding. We have no right to demand anything of you, but we humbly come, prevailing upon your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your faithfulness. We lift up prayers, Father, for those who are ailing, whether it would be someone in this room or someone connected to someone in this room or somebody watching online. Lord, we know these bodies are temporary. We will one day discard them and receive eternal, immortal, glorified, imperishable heavenly bodies. But in the meantime, Lord, we need your healing touch upon us so that we might continue to serve you to our full ability. Lord, we pray for healing from any kind of affliction, disease, injury. Father, whether whether it be physical, mental, emotionally, spiritual, Lord, you came to heal us on every level and we pray for healing on every level. And Lord, again, we pray that you would impart to us the gift of faith, increase our faith. Lord, we remember the man who um, said that he had faith, but he told Jesus, Increase my faith. Give me more faith. I need more faith. We pray that same prayer here today, Father. Increase our faith. Enable us to trust you completely, to rely upon you completely. And we do pray, God, for relief from physical pain for each and every one here today who has raised their hand for that kind of a problem. Lord, we also pray for those with pain in their minds, in their hearts. You said you came to heal the brokenhearted. We ask that you would do that. We submit to you this morning our broken hearts, our damaged minds. Lord, we know that nothing is too difficult for you and you can heal us on every level. So we lift those things up to you. We lift up to you relationships that have been damaged or broken, marriages that are struggling. Lord, that you would bind the enemy away from those marriages. All marriages, but especially those who are in difficulty and struggle. Struggling to survive. Struggling to hang on. To hang in there. Lord, we ask for a restoration. And re- friendships, other relationships, marriages. Lord, we know that the enemy comes to divide and to conquer, but we ask that you unite us in the love of Christ. And we pray, Father, lastly for Financial issues, Lord, these are perilous times we're living in. The economy is in a free fall and it seems like there's a concerted effort to do that. Help us to give us supernatural wisdom on how to manage our resources as best we can to stretch things, make them last as long as possible. Give us that wisdom and understanding and we we'll acknowledge you, Father, as our provider. We, we choose not to fear, not to worry, to trust in you for provision and we thank you for it. We thank you for, most of all for salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray now that you'd receive our final offering of praise in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.